Hi, everyone. It's Sarah, and it's two weeks until Bombshell. Bombshell is the first in my Victorian-era girl gang series, Hell's Bells. It features a kick-ass heroine and her kick-ass friends and a hero who doesn't mind watching her (laughs) kick ass. Um, I hope that you'll have a really fun time reading it. I wrote a book in 2020 that was absolutely the book I wanted to read and maybe just a little bit the life I wanted to lead, even if it's pretty extra and not my destiny. You can find Bombshell, like I said, wherever books are sold. Links are in show notes a pre-order would be fabulous. And if you pre-order from one of the five romance-friendly indies that are hosting Fate Mates Live on August 24th, you get Fate Mates stickers, signed book plates, and uh, bombshell-specific swag from each of the stores. And um, you get a ticket to Fate Mates Live, which if you've been to one before, you know, is a really fun time. We have 10 awesome authors with us. And uh, we can't wait to host you. That's August 24th. Links are in show notes as always. And now on with the episode. Happy anniversary, Jen. Thank you, everyone. It's Jen's wedding anniversary today. It is my wedding anniversary today. And she's taking time to talk to us, losers. (laughs) Well, that's what happens when you're (laughs) married for 20 years. It's fine. Mr. Reed's romance had to visit his parents in Texas, so he's not even home. Well, it's not a big deal. Anyway, we like love on Faded Mates, and so happy anniversary. Why, thank you. You are listening to Faded Mates. We're coming at you in your ear holes. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels, and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop. I'm a romance reader and critic. And we are trying to be professional. <laughs> Eric gave us a note last week that was like, you guys... Your beginnings and endings are really a mess these days. And I'm like, look, it's 150 episodes in. These MFers know who we are, but we should do better. But you know what? I don't think all these MFers do know who we are. (laughs) And that is Eric's point. So, Uh, hi, everyone. We're going to try and be more professional. I called our audience MFers, so already it's out the window. But like, with love, magnificent firebirds... (laughs) One of the books I read this week is the the hero calls the heroine fiery. So that's the vibe. I like it. That's the vibe we're going for, for it. today. Fiery. I would like for somebody to call me fire. <laughs> I think that's cool. Anyway, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to do today? I'm excited about this one. I am too. I really am. This is a favorite of mine. And our topic today is assassins. <laughs> Sure. I mean, I mean, we love it. We love an assassin. We love assassin romances. Well, and actually, I, so sometimes we decide on a topic and then a couple days we spend, I don't know, thinking, sometimes reading, sometimes just thinking. And I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night with like smart things I want to say about the topic. And then I put them on my phone. Like I take a note in the middle of the night so I don't forget. And the thing I was thinking about with assassins is... That this is an example of a trope in romance that is very big in pop culture. There's Mm -hmm. lots of movies and television shows about assassins. And I think it's a place where you see the influence of those things on the way it works in romance. So I would say this is like also interesting for us because usually we're talking... Like, like you know, there's no secret babies in movies. <laughs> Not in the same way. Not usually, no. So I think that this is an example of a trope where romance is kind of f- following the lead of a lot of other things. I think it's yeah. in conversation with them. And I think that'll be interesting. I was trying to think about just sort of the genesis of the assassin in pop culture. And... I, a while ago, several years ago, tweeted that, like, what I really, I started to get really into Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. the video game. Yeah. Um, and I mean, when I say really into it, I mean, I remain really into it. There's usually a new Assassin's Creed game every November, and I always have a book due, like, right around November, December, and I always get it as a gift for Christmas, and then I, like, can't, I can't I, play it. I can't play it. Like, I I cannot allow myself to play it until I am done 
with my book because when I start a new Assassin's Creed game, like I just play it like I'm a 12 year old boy, like <laughs> not not to you know <laughs> put too fine of a point on it. <laughs> exactly, I just like get me a case of Red Bull. And close the door because I just want to like garrote people throughout <laughs> history for the next two weeks. Fair. So, um, and this will come as no surprise to those of you who um, have read my Bare Knuckle Bastard series because Wicked in the Wallflower is basically Assassin's Creed Syndicate fanfic that HarperCollins agreed to publish. <laughs> so there we are. Um, anyway, the but the point is that. In the midst of all these Assassin's Creed games, at some point over the last however many years, I tweeted, like, my kingdom for, like, a real deal assassin romance. Like, an old school medieval mm-hmm. or, like, even pre-medieval, like, 12th century assassins, you know, really doing the business. And um, interestingly, there was a the, – the recommendation that always comes up whenever I say this – I am going to talk about today. Okay. So, see? But I think that this assassin question is like, I think what's interesting about them is that we somehow set them a, set them apart from other criminals. Like, yeah. They're not, like, we were just talking before we started recording. Well, like, I guess all those mafia books kind of can be, but I think they're different. I think like, they're I think different, too. what you get too. from an assassin book is very different than what you get from a mafia book. Well, okay. So I was thinking about this, too, and I, I have a couple of theories. So one is I think that – I think you're right about Assassin's Creed really bringing it into pop culture in a new way. When did that mm. – when did that video game – what? I will Google what while you, you look. talk. I was thinking a lot about movies. I mean, so assassins sometimes, like, work for the government. And so for me, I feel like... Like black ops. Right. And I feel like, you know, but I think it's like the ultimate... We've talked a lot about like the heroine's journey, but I feel like what an assassin is, is the hero's journey. Talk about like this loner out there in the Mm -hmm. world doing his business, trying to defeat evil. I mean, it's almost always that way, even if they're mercenaries. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of the assassins that I think about are in movies, things like James Bond, John Wick, just this week. Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne, Gunpowder Milkshake on Netflix, which is a bunch about a bunch of lady assassins who or it. Uh hello, yes you are, because it's <laughs> Angela Bassett and Michelle Yeoh. Is that how you say her name? By the way, that's a great title, Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah. And it Kelly and I watched it this week. I mean, so I feel like this is a this is pretty common in pop culture out like I said mm-hmm. like I was saying outside of romance. Right, like Suicide Blonde. I just watched that recently. It's not great, but it's fun to watch. Sure. So yeah, I think you're right. I think um here's where I think that they separate. And this is going to sound weird. I like as I'm even the for- the words are forming in my head, I'm like this is going to sound somebody's going to shake their head at me and be like that's not that different. But the um the mafia romance and the like dark romance and the kind of criminal romance, the motorcycle club, whatever romances, all feel like they have less fantasy attached to them than assassins. Yeah, in some way to me. Yeah, and I don't know if that's because for me, assassins are often really like packed in with historical, mm-hmm. like a different time or a different place or some kind of fantasy experience or like. A cartoon, almost like cartoony experience. Like Suicide Blonde is based on a graphic novel. Or like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Remember when that oh, came out? Yeah. Well, which is also his, like, yes. has that like historical fantasy. Film. Right. Oh my God. And like, <gasps> my God, that book, that, sh- that movie is so romantic. Yes. And that, of course, ends terribly. Just turn it off before the last 10 minutes. But I, I feel like those, like, kind of heroic, loner, assassin yeah. types out there yeah. in the world. But, like, you're right. Set against a fa- – uh, like, either fantasy or often, like, if it's James Bond, like, real – It's cartoony violence. And competence. Yeah. Born. It's like – it just doesn't feel the same yeah. at all. In Gunpowder Milkshake – Kelly was telling me there's, like, a supercut. Like, this woman who's, like, young woman who's kind of the main character uses every single possible thing she can come across as a weapon. And yeah. you're just like, this is a woman who could kill you with a bowling ball. Amazing. Exactly. She's just ready. It's like Kill Bill, right? Like that. Right. That, like, 
you know, singular. And often when we see women assassins, like there's something, I mean, like there, there's probably a lot, there's probably research in the world about like women, women in these movies as like sexualized creatures, but also like for women, for the female gaze, like as we are watching, there's something super badass about watching like one of, a, a woman in this kind of, cartoony graphic novel fantasy like she can fly through the air you know Mm -hmm. eric and i have been watching the olympics with our seven-year-old because she it's this is the first time she's ever like paid attention (laughs) it is kind of a cool thing to show to a i mean i have a lot of problems with the olympics like let's set aside all the problems that i have with the olympics and that you know we all should have with the olympics like it's this cool thing where she's like oh there are all these other countries and there are all these other sports yeah too which is like a surprise. And look to what all people of us. can do with their bodies. It's amazing yeah. to watch. Yeah. So, like all other seven year old girls in the known universe, she's super into gymnastics, like watching gymnastics. I think also because, like, all of these young women are young and, like, yeah. amazing superstars. And, um, when they're, when they're doing the, like, flips and stuff, <laughs> flips. I, I do not know. I'm sorry. Flips and stuff. I apologize. Everybody's going to be like, that's not what they're called, Sarah, but whatever. That is what they're, they're doing called. They're doing these, like, air air twisties. <laughs> that's better. <laughs> so, they're witch chains, everybody. I don't know. We, I don't know. It feels like they're witched to, like, be able to do all that stuff. Anyway, but then there's this camera. Have you seen this, like, new camera that they're using where it, like, does a 180 around them, like a, a 180 degree circle around them or half circle around them and takes pictures. Yes. And then it stitches together the twisty yes. so that you can see, see like, the whole thing. The yes. Twistiness. I'm why I'm I'm like super into this. Like anytime they show this, they also use it in diving. And, and Eric said to me yesterday, of course you are. It's Matrix film work. Yes. And it is. It's like that bendy, twisty Keanu Reeves dodging bullets feel. It's assassin film work. It is assa- obviously that's what it is. Assassin. <laughs> that's film Simone Biles' next job. Like, <laughs> but I think that that's the part. Is yes, I think that that is what an assassin romance does deliver. That a like all that plus kissing. Uh that's which is all I want. Seriously, like yes. The problem with all these movies is that there's never enough kissing. I mean, John Wick. Or she dies. I mean, I love those movies, but he has way more of a relationship with his dog than with, like, Halle Berry. And I don't understand that. Mm -mm. No, and then, like, let's also talk about, like, speaking of James Bond. Oh, yeah. I mean, women are tortured or used for, like, male trauma in all of Of those movies. The other thing that's really common, though, is in these, and I think in the books, too, in, in movies, is, like, the the way a woman becomes an assassin is, like, that Red Room Black Widow bullshit. Yep. She's taken away from her family at a young age. She's all, she and all the other women are trained to be killers, like, La Femme Nikita has this. Um, this is sort of even in Gunpowder Milkshake, a bit of the the library is sort of where the assassins go. And I and mm-hmm. I guess it's really interesting to me to to think about why it is it's like in order to turn a woman into an assassin, you have to like socialize her from a very young age. And it's somehow like not necessary to give men that same arc like they just are willing to like they just go off to the military and then like become assassins after because they're good snipers you know what i mean yeah it's interesting that's a good that's a good point because so my favorite sort of like film assassin who i guess isn't really an assassin but like is jason Bourne, right who's black ops and like has been reprogrammed yes and like taken off the grid right i mean i think that first born identity movie is Great. It is a really fun movie to watch because it has that that twisty, turny, you know, ending. And I guess, I mean, in that sense, I mean, I do think they all have to be like kind of sad, don't you? (laughs) I mean, what is Jack Reacher's deal? What's his problem? Jack Reacher's problem is that, I mean, I don't know. He doesn't know how to use a washing machine. But also, (laughs) you know what Jack Reacher's problem is that he – 
he is essentially like judge, jury, and executioner. He is traveling around and he runs into problems. He's his and own vigilante. Yes, man. he's a vigilante. Mm-hmm. It's not like someone is like setting him off and like go kill these people. No. He just is like, these are bad people who deserve to die and I'm willing to do it. I mean, it's pretty fucked up. But I also think it's a lot in Reacher about how. I mean, I feel like the big overarching theme of all the Jack Reacher books is that, like, America is really corrupt at its core. He's always, almost always in, like, small towns, which in sometimes in pop culture are really valorized. And instead, that's where he finds, like, the gnarliest shit people do. So, I don't know. So, that's slightly different because that's vigilante and that's a different kind of thing. Yeah. Because assassins have to have a nobler goal in some way, I think. At least that's what... That's what I kind of started to come to think about here in the books that I'm that I, you know, have for this interstitial is this like concept of assassins as serving a higher purpose, whatever that purpose or power may be. They're always taking out a bad guy, and that person has always done wrong. And so even though it's extrajudicial, it's seen as somehow being mm-hmm. worthwhile to do. But it seems like in my books, at least, the books that I've chosen, they are all serving some sort of, like, larger purpose. A government, a god in one case, like, mm-hmm. a, an organization with more power than them alone. And so they are able to kind of, like, do their own – do do justice, like, in a certain way. But then you think about – I mean, two of – you know, I said Jason Bourne. It's not true. Of course, my favorite assassin in pop culture is Val Kilmer in The Saint. <laughs> Did you hear? Listen, obviously, obviously, we have to have like a small moment to talk about <laughs> Reggae Jean Page, who's yes. about to become the next saint. And honestly, here's what I will say if Val Kilmer has to pass on this baton <laughs> to anyone in the world, let it be Reggae Jean Page. <laughs> We're all pretty excited about it. I mean, what a visionary. <laughs> I, mean, I will watch it. I what a visionary <laughs> that he was like, this is the thing that needs to be remade. Fine. Yeah, we were all like, ooh, maybe he'll be Black Panther. Ooh, maybe he'll be James Bond. He's like, no, no the saint. saint. <laughs> and you know what? That is exactly, he sang to my little heart. My little, <laughs> my little beating heart so- remains a fan of his grace, oh. the Duke of whatever his name is. Anyway. <laughs> My point is, so aside from The Saint, yeah, which is delightfully fun, there's also, I don't think you can have a conversation about assassins in pop culture without talking about Gross Point Blank. Yes, agree. Who, I mean, is there a better line in comedy than... No, no, no. Psychopath kills for no reason. I kill for money. It's a job. That didn't sound right. <laughs> so I guess that they don't. Not, that's, that's, again, two people who, like, I don't think The Saint is, like, you know, serving a higher purpose. Right. And well, I don't think that John Cusack's character in Gross Point Blank is either. Like, he's just, like, on the dark web taking well, jobs. Well, because, look, the truth is sometimes the higher purpose they're serving is their own wallets. I mean, they're mercenaries often, right? If they're not working for the government, then they're working or they're not working for some, you know, organization, right, the order or whatever. Then the thing that they're working for is is just, like, cash money. They have this you know they have a a skill set i have a they have a very particular set of skills <laughs> exactly and therefore so yeah yeah i mean so romance you're right this is a really fun thing to watch it's fun because there's a fantasy to it you and i have are deeply on the record as yeah. loving anything where like things blow up people get oh, murdered listen i t- still tell this to my students all the time i'm like my favorite genre of movie movie is beautiful people blow things up like that's all i want i want handsome men to blow things up <laughs> preferably in ties i would like beautiful women maybe in like <laughs> lebutons to, to blow things up i want yes. all of it that's i want them I want. to slow walk away from fire <laughs> Looking gorgeous. <laughs> yes. So maybe it's best not to overthink it. Like, we are Americans deeply rooted in American culture. <laughs> yes, but I want them to slow walk away from fire looking gorgeous with another person. Sure. A la Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek in Desperado. Oh, God, yes. Sure. We'll put photos. Look down at your your podcasting app. We're definitely going to put that picture right here. <laughs> 
I feel like the springboard then into talking about romance from 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 movies has to be Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my God, talk about chemistry. I, I don't Oof. think they even probably needed a team of people to make actual fires. They just put Brad and Angelina no. near something, and it. it I caught mean, a, of it was a flame. course. He left his wife for her. Of course he did. Like, they're just incendiary. And that whole movie, that spy versus spy, assassin versus assassin. Yeah. So this is the thing. So in that moment, we're sort of promised, we're given, romance readers, uh, viewers, are given the thing that we have so desperately wanted for how many, for however, however many years, since like the beginning of James Bond in movies, where... Like, we're finally able to see beautiful people blowing things up and then making out. And also blowing things up while they make out. Even better. Right? Like, it's just making out is a big piece of that movie. (laughs) And that is probably why when we did our spy episode, which we did with Nana Malone, Mm -hmm. all my picks were Mr. and Mrs. Smith rewrites. You know, we also sort of touched on this a little bit when we did the fanfic episode with Christina Lauren that, like, romance is always kind of iterating the world, the other, the rest of the media in the world. And, I mean, the spate of Mr. and Mrs. Smith knockoffs are because Brad and Angelina made you want to, you know, blow things up and make out with someone. Interestingly enough, important that we have to say Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge are now writing a new co-writing and starring in a new Mr. and Mrs. Smith show, which is going to be fascinating. But also, I love those two, so sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to watch it right after I watch The Saint with Reggae Jean Page. <laughs> this, to me, when I think about a lot of um, romances that are assassin romances, I feel like this is really the case when I read them, where I think I what I'm doing is reading an author who's like, I am trying really hard to deliver that experience plus kissing in these books for my readers. If you love these movies, then you are going to roll up and see, you can, you know, read this book. And I think that that's the part that I I really appreciate is, you know, I'm getting the best of both worlds then in this book. Because often in a movie, they're going to kill somebody off. <laughs> The yeah, love interest but, yeah. is not going to exist the same way. So, But in this case, mm-hmm. you're promised, right? Like, it's such a safe – it's safe danger. It's, you know, the perfect the perfect kind of danger for a romance novelist. Yeah. Uh, for a romance reader. Um, the – well, I think I, – so I just want to also say, so when we had Nana on, she had written The Spy in uh, 3B – for, which was a Kobo original, and we talked about it. That's the one, for those of you who don't remember, that's the one where they basically bang on a Ferris wheel, <laughs> which is Fine. terrific. Um, f- I'm for it. Uh, and so those were kind of rival assassins who were working for what appear to be kind of like black ops, like mercenary organizations. Um, They don't work for governments. They work for, like, two separate organizations that are sort of hired out. They're hired guns for governments. And then in the second book, which is – which completes – so the first book ends on a cliffhanger. I think – can I spoil the cliffhanger now? Sure. I mean, it's been a while since we had Nana on. I haven't read it, but I feel like I could guess. Skip forward – well, you read the first one, didn't you? I don't think I read all the way to the end because then I remember she's like, it's a cliffhanger. cliffhanger. Don't read all the way to the end until the next right. one's out. Exactly. Okay. Well, I'm going to spoil it because now it's all out. So it's really just the 50% mark. Sure. Um, She accidentally shoot there. So they're like, they're like, they don't know. They, the part of the joy of this book is like this cat and mouse game. The first book mm-hmm. is this cat and mouse game of like, they don't know the other one is they think the other one is just like a totally normal person. So they mm-hmm. are hiding, they're dating and hiding their assassin, their assassinship from <laughs> the other person who is also an assassin, but also hiding their assassinship, right? 
And then it becomes clear that, like, this has all gone south and they're both assassins. (laughs) And then she accidentally shoots him. Not kills him, but she accidentally shoots him. And that is the end of book one. So book two begins with her being like, oh, shit, I have shot my boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Which, because Nana is such a, like, very, very clever, like, very funny writer, like, it works perfectly. And the second book is absolutely named the assassin in 5f and it's really great basically now it's holy shit we're both assassins i've actually shot you (laughs) (laughs) and um and now like the fallout from there is the second book which is you know also super great um because at the end they get together spoiler of course. It seems like that would be hard to come back from. I wish I would have guessed because I was like, how can this po- – like, what would be the potential, like, cliffhanger of this book? And I was like, it's got to be that one of them thinks they've killed the other one. <laughs> right? Exactly. So. Exactly. I mean, she doesn't think she killed him, but she does – she did shoot him, and he is not thrilled to have been shot. I mean, who can blame him? That seems like a <laughs> reasonable way to feel. But here's the thing. So Mr. and Mrs. Smith – That conceit, that sort of setup is about rivals. Yes. It's rivals to lovers. Like they're on even – they're on an even playing field. The other version of assassin romances that I really love is I'm supposed to kill you. Well – Okay, we can talk about that next. And then I would like to also posit that another option is assassin saddled with some new, you know, rube who doesn't know anything that they have to save. (laughs) And they have to protect. (laughs) Yes. That I also enjoy. So I really enjoy that too. (laughs) We got a lot of options here. assassin and normal person. Oh, yeah. That's also. mm, Well, we can go wherever you want. Oh, but uh, wait, wait, wait. Before we go anywhere, we have to talk about. Rune, the, the primordial assassin of Faded Mates. I know. The poor misunderstood assassin of Faded Mates. It was so funny because, okay, I was looking up like sort of like, you know, romance novels with assassins. And as soon as I saw Rune, I was like, I mean, of course. How? Of, let, look, Rune part two. Here we go. Bam. <laughs> Did you say it all okay. in Rune week? Because <laughs> you guys. Okay. For those of you who are new to Faded Mates and did not join us for season one, season (laughs) one was a recap and a deep dive analysis of Cressley Cole's Immortals After Dark series. It was 18 episodes long. You should 1,000% go read these books. (laughs) My favorite of these books is a book called Sweet Ruin, which is book 17 of the 18. something like this, I spent... Literally 16 weeks going, just wait until Rune. And then when Rune Week came, we did a massive double episode because I had so much to say. I don't even think I said anything the entire episode, basically. It (laughs) is a fucking delight. He is. So, okay. Also in books, in romance especially, often assassin books come with a level of fantasy slash paranormal slash, you know, unrealistic yeah. world. <laughs> Rune is in the conceit in the world building of the Immortals After Dark series, Rune is what's called a dark fae, which means he is half demon, half fairy, and in doing that, he is um he becomes what is referred to as a bane blood, which means every bodily fluid Rune has is poison. Literally will kill you in within seconds. Um if he like kisses you, or bleeds on you, or <laughs> yeah, or does that other thing on you? But he can't do that he other. He can't thing do on that you other thing. It's fine. He's a demon, and he can only do that with his his faded mate. Yes. It's it's great, you guys. If you're <laughs> rolling your eyes, don't do that because this book is great. He's poisoned everyone but her. But Anyway, so he is like basically he is the assassin of what's called the Moriar, which is like the big bad of the third act of the uh, Immortals After Dark series. And um, he can literally kill anybody with a kiss if he needs to. In fact, he has done that before. And he does it in service to this like higher power, to this idea that like he works for this greater good. Yeah. Um, and then he meets this girl 
and she's half vampire, and he smells delicious, and she pierces him and drinks from him, and he's like, she's going to die. And she doesn't die. Instead, she goes like supernova. And then he's like, your body is a wonderland. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. Anyway, it's it's the best. And and he's like knocked on. So this is the other thing, right? This is this like assassin knocked on their ass by feelings. By like, this is why I love this trope, right? Because... You have this cold, heartless character by definition because of the work they do. And sure. now they're going to fall in love. And they're like, but if I have feelings, can I still do my job? <laughs> it's, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's amazing. Which is Vern's whole, like, his whole problem. The whole thing is that he believes that his job is to assassinate people by using, you know, sure. his body, yeah. potentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, not not really, but his body, his his job not is to really, use his yeah. body. Yeah. And then he doesn't want to use his body because he wants to use his body for other things with her. <laughs> that is, I think, one of the things, though, that is actually really interesting about these these books, I think, is the connection between, like, sex and, like, your physicality is so built into the system here because – these are people who know just like just how ephemeral life really can be. And so often, you know, like there's this isn't really like a these aren't not a lot of whole like slow burns here <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's kind of like right like pleasure when you get the opportunity for it. It's just like a, it's just something your you know, sex is just something your body does also. And so then when they get to the point where, okay, well, maybe now I have feelings for this person. Is that going to change sex for me? And, you know, I would like to point out, I don't think it has to. You can have great sex without having feelings for someone. But in romance, I think this is then, like, really revelatory for them. Like, it was just something mechanical before, but now it feels different because I feel different. So all of that stuff really plays into the way, like, the arc of the way this changes the assassin themselves in assassin romance also love is a surprise yes it's never been in the cards and it's different than look everyone knows i love a hero who's like i'm sorry i'm i can never love (laughs) and it's like because one time you got a hangnail and you can never love (laughs) but like for these people like the way that they do their job is they've been basically built into a feelingless machine yeah. Right. And so when love starts to gum up the works, quite literally, right, of the machine, they end up um, kind of knocked back. So can I talk? I'm going to talk about one of my books, even though we've been talking about books. Like I said, on Twitter, whenever I ask for like a real deal, like old school 12th century, you know, assassin romance, people recommend Robin Lefevre's Grave Mercy to me. And that is first in the His Fair Assassin trilogy, which I have not read the second two, although I have you are literally to. just downloaded them because <laughs> I am so excited. Um, I've had this book on my Kindle for a thousand years because I have been meaning to read it. And then finally I was like, I have a reason to read this book. Um, it is. It was sold to me. Part of the reason why I sort of hesitated was because it was sold to me as a YA romance, which I think it is I mean like I it certainly is like I think it's a, I think it's supposed to be a YA romance <laughs> but yeah nobody sold that right to me because it is actually not it does not feel like this main character does not feel young um at all she does not feel like she is trying to like discover herself at all like she feels like she is fully formed and understands who she is um and so anyway it begins with the, our 17-year-old heroine, Ismay, it's set in the 1400s in a kind of reimagined Brittany during, like, the wars between France and Brittany when Brittany was, like, subsumed into France. And um, – but the war, the history is twisted to include um, a f- this sort of sense of magic that is – there's, like, a, a layer of magic over the top – 
the top of the history. And it's like very gossamer, this magic. Um, the heroine is, you meet her like, it, she is literally on the first page being um, forced into a marriage by her brutal father to a man who is equally as brutal. Um, and in the moment when she, um, like, she she sort of escapes him because she is cursed, or at least, like, it is believed that she has been cursed. She um, she has a, a – I love a curse. What sounds – when sounds what sounds like a like port wine stain like across her back, and it's supposedly like the 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 theory is that she is marked by the poison that her mother tried to use to um to abort her when she was in utero, and but it didn't take, and so instead she was born. The theory is like she was born of the god of death, right? Like because mm-hmm. it didn't take, and therefore she was born. Um, and in the and so but. At first, you're sort of given this sense of like, oh, this is just like legend, right? Like this is like stupid people talking about stuff they don't understand. And then it becomes clear that that's actually not the case. That in actual fact, she is the daughter of the god of death. That's um, amazing. She, yeah, it's fucking great. And so she is like, she escapes from, for, you know, however, it doesn't matter. She escapes from this like terrible husband within, and also like talk about a book that like launches like a cannon. Like, Within five pages, she's, like, saved by somebody, like, thrown into a, like, boat and taken off to this convent, which is a group of nuns who serve the god of death. And in order to serve the god of death, they train young women to be assassins. And they turn these women, these young women, into, like, fucking weapons and it is great. And it becomes clear that Ismay is not just, like, lucky. She is um, magic. Like, she has – she is um, immune to poisons. <laughs> like, Iocane powder does not impact her in any way. <laughs> yes. um, she is immune to poisons. She can see the – when she sees somebody um, who is evil or, like, somebody who she is ultimately going to have to assassinate – she can see a mark on their body where she is supposed to, like, which is the place that will end up being the, the place of their death. Wow. So she knows, like, she can see somebody and she's like, oh, this one needs to be garroted. This one needs to be stabbed. This one needs to be whatever, poisoned. And she can smell poison on her. That's On great. other people. So here's the deal. She's, so we have, like, the part of the reason why it doesn't sort of feel 100% like a romance um, at the start is because about – Six or seven chapters is just, like, Ismay being trained, like, meeting mm-hmm. all the other young women in the convent. Um, the two – her two friends in the convent are going to be – are the heroines of the next two books in the series. And then Ismay gets sent off to, like, do some crime and do some <laughs> killing. And she turns up at a place and, like, murder – like, assassinates somebody who is, you know, has – has – is working for the wrong government – and um, in walks this, like, handsome dude, and he's like, what the fuck? Who are you? And she runs, and then he turns up, like, the next morning at the convent and is like, your assassin stole my kill. I needed that guy because I needed to, like, get information from him. And it turns out they're kind of working toward the same goal, except she's an assassin, and he's, like, trying to actually, like, he's working for the government. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of the book, like within, you know, and so, but they're super drawn to each other. And then there's like a fake relate, talk about a fake relationship story that I was like super into because then like the abbess of the convent is like, all right, well then she's going to go with you to court because we need, like you can work together, but she should go as your mistress. (laughs) And he's like, I don't take mistresses. And the abbess is like, well, you do take this one. And she's also been trained not only in, like, killing a man with, like, 17 different kinds of weapons, but also trained to, like, seduce a man, use her feminine wiles, like, manipulate anything, like, manipulate the world around her um, however she needs to. And then, of course, there's, like, intrigue, and the two of them start to fall for each other, and then there are, like, a bunch of almost kisses, and then he's poisoned, and then she has to figure out how to, like, save him, and then when she figures out how to save him, it's so sexy, and it's just great. It t- <laughs> I tore through it. It took me, like, two hours to read it. I loved it so much. And, like, 
by the end, of course, there's a happily ever after. Like, there's this moment, like, and he gives her, like, but it's this sense of just the whole time she's like, men are terrible. Men are instruments of our demise. Men are instruments of pain. Like, I don't want anything to do with men. Like, com- the common is, like, the right choice for me. And then, like, he's this man who, like, runs counter to everything that she has believed about men, you know, for her whole life. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, he makes her love men. It's like he makes her love him. him. And there's this yeah. moment where mm. somebody says to her, like, do you love him? Like, you're willing to give up everything for him for a man. And she's like, no, not a man, like him. Like, so it's like feminist and cool and gosh, she's so badass. And I cannot wait to let uh my daughter read this book. Oh, I she's love seven, that. So that's feeling it's, it's gonna time, be a while, right? Yeah, right. Sure. Honestly, <laughs> next week. After the after the after the twisties are over. I'm like, honey, some people are the daughters of the god of death. <laughs> It's a good place to start with, like, straight-up fantasy because I feel like the other two series I want to mention is – so we should mention, although I have not read them, Sarah J. Moss, her Throne of Glass series is about a a young woman who's an assassin, and it starts off with her. I've read the beginning, and then I just kind of ran out of time, but I was like, oh, I want to keep reading this. Well, Sarah J. Moss loves an assassin. Yes. So, you know, that whole series is – it's pretty great. The The woman who's the assassin, she starts off essentially enslaved in the salt mines. And she gets, like, picked up and taken to see the prince. And he's going to, like, make a deal with her. And um, she's terrific. And I think this is, I, you know, that series has been around for a long time. I think the first one, it's got to be 10 years old at least already. Now I want to kind of look. 2012, yeah. So, you know, that, and also it's seven books. So that whole series, the thing about some of these big fantasy series is, you know, I know sometimes people have, like, I don't want to start it until the series is over so you can safely dive into that one. And then for a, and I think that is also marketed as YA, although I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think well, that one is maybe. so sexy. Yeah, yeah. I should say the, Robin Lefevre's series is like there is sex in it, but there is it is not on the page really. Like yeah. it's you would really you really have to know what's happening to know what's going on. Um, so it is very safe for young readers if you are looking to like share a romance with a young person in your life. Perfect. Um, but also, Robin, if you're listening and you would like to write me some like filthy <laughs> fanfic. <laughs> About that particular scene, you know, the one we're talking, I'm talking about, I'm sure, like, I'm here for you. (laughs) Using your powers for good and not evil. Filthy outtakes can come my way. (laughs) Now, there's another series, the Kate Daniel series by Alona Andrews. Everyone has heard me talk a million times about how much I love the Hidden Legacy series, but I also really love this series. It's 10 books. Kate Daniels is a kind of mystical assassin. She's got this, like, magical sword. And she um, was raised by a man who essentially, when she was a young girl, like, forced her to sort of fight, like, gladiator style. So she can kick everybody's ass. And this is a really cool – the world building in this is really interesting to me – I think it, it's set in a future Atlanta where there is, like, there's magic or, like, not magic. Like, sort of the technology will rise and then, like, magic just doesn't work. But then when the magic is up, like, tech, technological things won't work. And it, it's almost like like waves of it come through, you know, just, like, space or whatever. Who knows how it happens. Um, mm-hmm. And she ends up running kind of in book – and I will be honest with you. Book one is their first book. It's It was a little slow, a little clunky for me as first books can be. And I often recommend to people that they just start with book two of the series. And then if they really like it, they can go back and kind of read book one. But book two is, like, going to get you, you know, a sort of a better – a faster ramp, I think, up into the world. Um, And what happens in this is she runs afoul of this guy named Curran, who is the head of the local, like, werewolf pack, but he, a clan of shapeshifters. And actually, all of the different shifter factions report to him. He's like the beast lord. And, of course, she's going to fall in love with him over the series of um, these ten books. And there's lots of amazing... Um, secondary characters who are getting who get their own books or are getting their own books and series and so if you are 
it's a really, really fun read. And I love the Kate Daniels series a whole lot. So if you like, like sort of that fantasy assassin, I feel like we have now given you a couple of really good options. So well, do we want I to have another one? Oh, you have another one. Okay, go ahead. I do. And I got to say, you guys, I think we've all missed this one. <laughs> um, so I, Jen knows how I feel about it. I'm, I'm so confused because in June, a book came out by India Holton. I believe it is her debut. It's called The Wisteria Society of Lady Scoundrels. And um, it's the first in a, in a series. And it is an assassin book. It's a the heroine is named Cecilia Basingwaite, and she is um a Victorian woman and also a thief. And she has this like hilariously fun grandmother. I think she is. She might be an aunt. Like mm. she's an older woman. And we meet Cecilia like in her townhouse in Mayfair or wherever. And um all of a sudden, like, on the first page, you sort of have this moment where you're like, something is up with this book. Like, yeah. the writing – first of all, India Holton's writing is, like, sparkling and delicious. Like, she's that. so funny. The 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 um, dialogue in this book is so crisp and clever. And I really – instantly, I'm sort of sucked into this, like, world. And – Instantly, I sort of – and I, I opened this book without knowing anything about it, I should say. And um, I started reading it, and I was like, something's up with this book. Like, it's really – like, the writing is so crisp and awesome, but also, like, there's something up with this heroine. Like, what is her deal? And then on page, like, six of the book, she's the, – the grandmother is like, I was thinking of flying the house to Bath today. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Wait, What? And so literally, like, this world that India has created has this kind of – it turns out that there's, like, um, an assassin who's out to kill Cecilia. It's her It's her aunt. And uh, he has been hired by this, like, pirate who has a, like, house that has cannons <laughs> – and it's like, and he he's the the villain of the play is like out to rid England of like women <laughs> with brains <laughs> in their heads. Like, but he's starting with this like world of this wisteria society, which is just like badass ladies in Victorian England who also can fly their houses from London to Bath. Like and it's so bizarre. And I say that, you know, you've all heard me for three years say, like, all I want yeah. is books that are yes. cool and different and make me go, wait a second, no one has ever done anything like this before. Anyway, that is this book. So we meet this assassin, Ned, who is, like, kind of piratical in the sense that, like, he's very clever and swashbuckling. And he, like, climbs up the side of the house. And, like, he's so fun and Cecilia is so fun and they're so fun together and there's so much joy kind of packed into this book yeah that makes me feel like India Holton was like I am just gonna write the shit out of this book that I just have in my head and I really love it and I think that the world just doesn't know that this book is what it is well, I thought it was a straight-up historical, yeah. Jen, we've had a lot of conversations about covers <laughs> on Faded Mates and in the world, and you choose violence on the regular on Twitter, <laughs> and I don't want to do that here, but what I do want to say out loud is I think this cover does not do this book justice. I think too many people probably glossed over it, and they were like, oh, that's just another historical, and let me tell yeah. you something. As somebody who writes historicals, I know how hard that is. Like, just another historical is is a trap we often are all kind of pu- pushed into. And the service that is done to the book by this cover is not great. Because I want yeah, people to look at this and go, oh my god. I can't wait to read this. But I mean, like, I'm also not an art director, so I don't know what I would do differently. Like, I just think, like... <laughs> Anyway, you guys, if you've seen this book on a table in a bookstore and gone like, oh, just another historical, like, do yourself a favor and go pick it up because it's really deliciously weird. And uh, I had a great time reading it. Amazing. When I saw that cover, I would not have expected like sort of steampunk fantasy assassin 
any of that stuff. So I think it's important well, for us to give people that heads up. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I, I will say one other thing about this. It's, like, pretty, it's, there's one sort of short sex scene at the end. So it is, like, you know, just go into it knowing, like, it's just this, like, bizarre, sex, weird, steampunky historical. And I'm for it. So I do want to talk, though, about um, contemporary assassin romances because this is when you really get into the often like ex-military or mercenaries or you know whatever Mm -hmm. and i think one of the things that i think is really interesting about contemporary romance assassins is that there's kind of two ways that they play out one is kind of the like serious heavy you know um you know, almost like a dark romance adjacent or firmly dark romance. But I think it's also really common to find this, uh, to find essentially like them being really humorous or funny. And so I have some for both and I, well, actually I like lean more towards the funny ones and I'm kind of curious to think about like why that is. But um, if you would like more of a like dark romance one, I did read a book called um, Killing Sarai by J.A. Redmersky. And this is uh, the first in a series called In the Company of Killers. And I would, I'm pretty comfortable calling this like sort of dark romance. Like it starts off with a a young woman, um, Sarai, and she essentially has been held captive for like nine years by the head of a drug cartel. And on this particular day, an American is there visiting and she realizes that this is like her one chance to escape. And she like kind of gets into his car, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter how and essentially convinces him that he should get her out of there. And the thing that's like really interesting about this story, it, I guess it, I guess it has like what I would call like a, a, an HFN. Like you're, they're not together at the end, but they're kind of like in ho- a holding pattern. So you have to kind of know that this whole series is going to evolve. Is there's this really interesting conversation about whether or not, as much as this woman wants to like sort of find a normal life again, whether or not she even could. And what ends up happening at the end is she ends up t- convincing Victor that he should train her to be an assassin as well. So it's definitely like like, turn me into a vampire. Yeah, exactly. And the whole idea is like, and you know, it was sort of like, there's this conversation he has with like one of his colleagues where she's like, look, it's 50, 50, whether or not she could actually even go back to a normal life. Like she's already seen too much. She's so desensitized to violence because of what she's been through and what she's seen and then it like tips over where she's like, I can't, I can't live a normal life. I can't go back to college. I can't, you know what I mean? She's like, turn me, show me how to do what you do. So it was an, I, you know what? I would, I would say this. I, it's actually from I think 2014 or 2015. I just read it this week, sort of in preparation. I was like, this looks kind of interesting. And it was interesting to read it. Um, I think it's dated in a lot of ways. I don't think, um, you know, I think, you know, like the sort of Mexican drug cartel and the bad guys being really like ham-fisted and stuff. But I feel like that's kind of part and parcel of dark romance, that the bad guys are just like cartoonishly bad. So, um, but I did think the whole journey of like, if you can get out of that bad situation you're in, what would you do with yourself? And maybe if you ran across an assassin, you'd be like, train me to be like you. <laughs> it's uh-huh. sort of an interesting. So I was interested in reading it, I guess I would say. I I did keep reading it, even though in many ways did not really read like a romance to me. Um, which, you know, makes sense given the setup. But I do have two books that I think are more on the like like they're comedies they're like the gross point in the gross point blank (laughs) you know sort of territory of assassin right right right? right. and one of course is the famous I'm sure Agnes and the Hitman by Jenny Cruzy have you read this Jenny Cruzy and Bob Mayer is that who it is she co-wrote it (laughs) no but I know about it I've never read it though tell me about it um I borrowed it from the library Agnes is our heroine and she is living in a she has recently bought like sort of this huge kind of crumbling mansion 
in this small town of Keys, South Carolina. And she, her best friend grew up in this home and she like loved this house. And she just like loved, she's a cook. She has like a cook, a famous cookbook that she's written. And, you know, she's like, it's like sort of, there's all these ex-mobsters that live in this town. And her best friend, um, her best friend's daughter is getting married. And she has agreed to have this wedding at her house. But all of a sudden, all these people start coming and are trying to, like, kidnap her dog. (laughs) And it turns out that the week before, the dog had been, a picture of the dog had been in the local newspaper. And it was wearing this, like, what she thought was a collar. But it turned out to be this, like, you know, these jewels that had been lost for 25 years. And so everybody, and along with the jewels, there were supposed to be $5 million in cash. So everybody is trying to essentially, like, kill her to figure out, like, where the jewels and the cash are. And so her kind of uncle, who's like an ex-mobster, a retired mobster, um, gets his nephew, someone she's never met, right? Like, these is, it's not her real uncle, whatever, Shane, who's a hitman, to come and protect her. <laughs> And it's just like a bunch of wacky hijinks for a book with a body count this high, you know, like there's. This is the thing. Yeah. About assassin romances. Like they sort of have a feel. Yes. Yes. And it is just like really charming. Like, right. So all of these like, you know, like kind of. Well, so basically her uncle. The, you know, the guy who, three old gangsters were the ones who found the jewels and the money, but no one knows what, one guy essentially disappeared one night 25 years ago, and the jewels and the money were never seen again. So the two guys are now, essentially, everyone in town knows the story and is trying to find the money and is sending people after Agnes. There's a bunch of wacky hijinks with, like, the woman who is trying to get her house back, and she never really intended to sell it to Agnes in the first place. And, you know, Shane is out here like killing people on one hand and then like running errands to the bakery to pick up flour for her on the other hand and it's just really it's it's a lot of fun to read and I think that it's as I was reading it I I really did think like I feel like I'm reading gross point blank essentially yeah nice it is um and then another one I have is there is a series Okay, I read a book called Deadly Match by Eve Langless. Have you Langless? I don't know if that's the right, how I'm saying her name right. Um, And this is one of a series about a bunch of assassins called Bad Boy Incorporated. (laughs) But I read book number three. I was sort of just looking through them. And essentially, like, the first one was, like, you know, like an assassin in the suburbs, which is always, like, right the fish out of water to me. But in this one, I read the main character, the assassin's name is Reaper, but that's his, like, actual given name is Charming Reaper Montgomery, because his mom was, like, some sort of hippie. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he, he, the book opens with him essentially, like, fucking up a job. And he gets, oh, another assassin shows up at the same place, and he, like, you know, offs the guy he's meant to kill, but this woman shoots him a couple of times, and then he has to really recover. And what's interesting, of course, is you're convinced that that other assassin is going to be the heroine, but it's not. So he he's 40, he's in his 40s. If you are interested in, like, older, like, hero, you know, characters, you would like this book because he's 47 and what happens is he almost dies. Like, he's in a medical, medically induced coma for a while. And then, like, all the people he works with keep, like, s- slipping him sedatives because they know that he'll never stay in bed to, like, get better. <laughs> and so he is like, you know what? I'm lonely. And if I had a girlfriend, they would be by my bedside. So he's like, I am going to retire and I'm going to, like, find myself a girlfriend. So he joins a dating service. <laughs> And the woman, <laughs> and the woman, Anique, who is like the head matchmaker, is like set him up on essentially like eight or ten different dates and none of them take. And so she's like, well, I'm going to have to like handle him myself and like give him some one-on-one service and really figure out what makes this guy tick because I have, I mean, he's on paper a great you know, he's real estate, like, he's got his whole fake background. She's like, why doesn't he like any of these women I'm setting him up with? And, of course, he ends up falling in love with her. 
And he has to protect her because she has, like, a stalker, essentially. So, but yeah, again, still, like, super funny and, like, just, like, really, like, a lot of comedy where they're, like, bumbling and stumbling around and, you know, he's saving her. And, um, you know, I I thought it was actually really charming and would definitely be interested in reading some more books in this Bad Boy Incorporated series. It's making me think that, like, in actual fact, I mean, obviously not the Grave Mercy book that we talked about, which is, you know, that yeah. poor girl goes through a lot before she becomes an assassin. But what's really fascinating to me about this is, like, it's almost as though assassins in romance, it it is their job, <laughs> right? Like, they kill for money, and therefore it's like they can still be fun and funny and, like, clever and, like, always quick with a with a quip quip yes and um and it's because in their minds they're like well this is my job right and that's how they kind of wave away the work and i think that's cool yeah i agree i'm also thinking about i don't know you know we didn't talk about the witcher in oh yeah <laughs> in pop culture but like there's a, so much humor in The Witcher, not oh, from the yeah. character of The Witcher, but, like, around the kind of, like, how gruff and grim and, like, you know, grunty he is. Yes. And that's also another, like, he's a mercenary. You can toss a coin to him. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, you you pay yes. him to kill the monster in your town. Yeah. And I think it's very cool. I think there's something really compelling about those characters, heroes or heroines. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, like I said, the thing that they almost all have in common, and this is like my romance id in every way, so it makes sense that every assassin book at some level would work for me, is it's like taking the loner and showing them, like, no, you can have this community too, right? Or you can have love too. And I think that then that tension of – you know, them either, like, I mean, in this case, the thing that I loved about Deadly Match was, like, him literally, like, on his deathbed being, like, God, if I had a girlfriend, I wouldn't have to, like, feel so alone as I was, like, dying from my gunshot wounds or whatever. Like, (laughs) it's so, like, it's honestly very sweet. Like, he really, and then he's, like, I'm going to go do the work. I'm going to, like, hire this matchmaker and find myself a girlfriend because, like, this is no way to live. And it's really, really charming. Yeah. Look, I love these books. They're really fun. They're perfect summer reads, so if you're looking for something for August, uh, these are good starts. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other one last thing I'd say is often when I talk about movies I like, one of the biggest impediments for people, and this is totally fair, is, like, the violence is too much. Like, look, I am, like, a, a terrible person and can just watch John Wick kill a million people. But I understand that that is not really possible for many people. So the other thing that I think could be really appealing about these books is, you know, if you get to a scene where the violence feels too much, but it doesn't because it's romance then you can just sort of like skim over to a place until it feels safe. So I think it delivers you that like same jolt and mm-hmm. of of what it is, but it's not like in your eyes and in your memory the same way. And so I think that's another reason why I would imagine, you know, if you're like, wow, people talk about John Wick, but I just know I couldn't possibly watch that. Well, then you could read one of these books and get that same experience, but without the violence being quite as aggressive as it is in in yeah. movies because it it is it can be an, a real impediment and I think that's totally fair. Well, I think we did the business. I think so too. I got to talk about Rune. <laughs> it was on my list. First thing I mean, on my anytime list. Anytime I could talk about Rune, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's tell everybody about Faded Mates Live. Yes. Faded Mates Live. So August 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern, we are going to be having Faded Mates Live virtually so everyone can attend. The price of admission is to buy Bombshell from... We have five really great romance-friendly bookstores who are hosting this episode of Faded Mates Live. 
And uh, if you buy a copy of Bombshell from any one of them, um, and you can link through to your favorite of the five of them in at the link that is um, in show notes or on your podcasting app right now. And um, you'll click through, you'll purchase a copy of, of Bombshell, you'll get some free, cool book swag that comes with it and a ticket and a login information for the event on August 24th, which is with some of my very favorite people and many friends of the pod. More information on that all in the link. And you know what else will be coming up soon that's also worth talking about is Bookstore Romance Day is also going to be virtual this year. And there's so much totally cool programming the weekend of August 21st, Saturday and 22nd. Um, I will be hosting a panel with Sarah and KJ Charles and Adriana Anders and Nana Malone. And on relevant to this week's topic, Danger Bang! Exclamation point, um, which is all going to be about like plotting and when it, we get characters in danger and how they get out and how they feel when that happens, um, which will be really fun. But there's lots of super great panels. So that is also, um, we can put a link to like, the schedule and all of those events are free. And if you do buy books, you can indicate which indie bookstore you want them to go to. But it's also a great way to support indie bookstores who do carry romance. Romance-friendly indies. Yay. Um, if we show up for them, they'll show up for us, which is nice. Uh, what else? You can find us on FatedMates.net or at FatedMates on Twitter or at FatedMatesPod on Instagram. You can always tell us how you feel about us in those places, but, you know, be kind. And um, if you like and subscribe or like and, um, wait, what's it called? Not subscribing anymore. Follow. It's called follow. Uh, liking and following us on your podcasting app. You'll get new episodes downloaded to you every week whenever we have one. Um, and that's fun because we can just come right into your ear holes where we belong. And then uh, what else? Also at FadedMates.net, you can get gear from Best Friend Kelly or from Jordan Denae. T-shirts, stickers, pins, laptop cases, mugs, the whole nine. Um, other than that, we're almost at the end of season three. And we are always blown away by all of you being here with us. Have a great week, everybody. 